it's complicated, but the take-home point I want to make is that everybody's required to have a non-BT corn refuge. The amount they have depends on which county they live in and also which corn varieties are growing. So it takes a little bit of planning, uh, but these are requirements according to essentially the label of planting BT corn. That was UT Extension IPM Specialist Dr. Scott Stewart. I'm Ginger Rousey, and this is Call of the Week. Earlier, we sat down with Dr. Scott Stewart to discuss non-BT corn refuge requirements. Just to get us started, can you give an overview of the purpose of the non-BT corn refuge? Yeah, sure can, and and it's really got one major purpose, and the purpose is to preserve the BT corn so that we don't have insects that develop resistance to it and, and lose the value of it. Now, there's other reasons. We BT corn is, is very valuable to us, in my opinion. I usually promote that in most areas they take full advantage of planting BT corn because it does, I think, uh, yield better. Uh, we don't have the insect problems with it. But the real value of the non-BT corn is really intended to preserve that BT corn. And, and really the whole idea is you got a small area of, of refuge, non-BT corn, that's producing susceptible insects they can breed with the rare resistant ones that might emerge from the BT corn. All right, so are, are growers planting as much refuge uh, as, as needed? If you look at every survey that's been done and, and all the assessments and just talk to people, the short answer is no. Uh, really, in, in all the cotton growing counties of the state, for example, the minimum amount of refuge we can have and get by with and be in compliance is 20% non-BT corn. Uh, pretty much all the data suggests that we're nowhere close to that. Anywhere in the southeast, it's a well-known problem uh, that does get uh, brought up at the federal levels with the EPA and also at the industry level, too. And, you know, it's something that the industry tries to address every year to improve that compliance. You know, and I, and I know that you're not the police officer of the BT Corn Refuge, but how can you encourage people to to plant the appropriate amount of refuge? Well, you know, there's the old argument of the carrot or the stick, and, you know, there is a stick here. If they do some enforcement, and if you get caught, uh, especially if you're a repeat offender, uh, there's some penalties. You can lose access to the technology. Hopefully what I try to do is convince people that there's value to having that that refuge that's out there. But but really, you know, sometimes it's this is a little bit of a box check, and I just try to educate people what they're supposed to do in, in the uh, non-BT corn refuge can be difficult to implement, especially in Tennessee. We're kind of unique in that we have areas that are designated as cotton areas and corn areas, and they have very different compliance requirements. We'll talk about that a little bit because there are requirements for those corn counties, and then the the cotton counties have different requirements. And then, uh, you know, I know there's there's the structured versus the refuge in a bag. So talk a little bit about what are the nuts and bolts of actually planting a corn refuge properly. Yeah, and that really all runs together. And part of it is we have a lot of different BT technologies. There's still still a few companies that are selling the original BT technologies, which only have one gene for control of, of corn borers. And if you're growing those and you're in a cotton county, you're supposed to have a 50% non-BT corn refuge. If you're in a corn county, you're supposed to have a 20%. And the whole concern, about, and the reason there's a difference is because we're trying not to select in two different crops, uh, cotton following corn. Now, what makes it complicated is with the newer technologies, most of the ones our growers are growing right now, in the cotton counties, they can grow 
as little as 20% refuge, non-BT corn refuge. In the corn counties, they have uh, several options depending on the hybrids, but they theoretically could go as low as 5% non-BT corn refuge. And that refuge can be deployed in a lot of different ways. That 5% refuge could just be 5% block field, Mm -hmm. or it could be what we call refuge in a bag, which is what most people are doing. The non-BT corn seed comes in the bag at a 5% level, and you just plant it and forget it, and those plants are scattered throughout the field. you can make an argument that it's better to have the block refuge because you can manage that separately if needed. Uh, that's definitely an argument I would make in the cotton counties is that you're almost better to have it in a block refuge because you can spray that refuge for, for pest as needed. Well, it, it seems like maybe the block refuge would be more effective with the, the whole mission of the refuge also. Well, you know, there's a lot of debate scientifically. One thing about the refuge in a bag and the corn growing areas is that there's mandatory compliance because it's in the bag. So you're at least going to get that 5% refuge out there. It's probably not going to be sprayed with insecticides because the, the 95%, yeah, right. 95% of the plants are, are protected from the target pest. Uh, but there's a lot of debate, and I said very scientific arguments. When you get a plant scattered out in a bunch of non-BT plants, they're actually cross-pollinating each other. Okay. So some of the kernels in that refuge plant are now partially BT or BT, and some aren't. And so there's a lot of science going on here. But really, the the long and short of it is, you know, you, you're supposed to have this refuge, and and the I guess the upside of it is much of the state is in that reduced refuge area is what's designated as a corn county. And those things are officially designated. I mean, we know which counties they are in, in Tennessee. You, you can't really assume because we have some counties that have very little cotton or no cotton and now, but at the time had cotton and they're considered cotton counties. And it causes a little consternation with, with folks. But I mean, it can literally be a county line and you may have a farmer that's growing both sides of the county line and one area has one requirement for a refuge in another area it's totally different how do farmers find out what county they're in if they don't already know well you can figure out whether you're cut you're officially considered a cotton or a corn county actually there's a lot of resources we have a table on our insect control guide and almost everybody does and there's a footnote and small print in the bottom of that guide that says the following counties are designated as cotton counties i'm not going to read the whole list here it's pretty obvious for some if you're in crockett and Haywood, the counties where cotton's pretty common, that's obviously a cotton county. Uh, You can also go to some online resources. All the companies have uh, IRM refuge guidelines that list those counties in there as well. Uh, So they're not hard to find, but it does surprise me every once in a while that people in some of these low cotton growing areas don't realize they're in a cotton county. So it, it is worth checking if if you're in doubt. What about BT rootworm traits? But there's different kinds of BT corn and the one that we really need in the south are the BT corns that control caterpillars and really what we're trying to target is corn borers, either southwestern or European corn borers. And you'll see a lot of literature when they talk about resistance management and some of these refuge guidelines about above ground pests. And and that's what they mean, these caterpillar pests. The corn rootworm is a below ground pest. And there are several species. Uh, The one that's most problematic is a Midwestern pest primarily, and it's Western corn rootworm. Also, there's a Northern corn rootworm. Uh, There's BT corns that have traits that control those pests pretty well. There is some resistance out there. but they're heavily deployed in the Midwest. 
We very seldom have problems with that pest in the state. If we do, it's continuous corn after corn after corn for years and years. So we don't really need that technology. So growers out there that are listening, if they hear something about Triple Pro or Smart Stacks, those technologies have the rootworm technology in there. And they have another level of, of refuge guidelines. It, it adds some different criterion. Uh, fortunately, in the South, uh, we essentially have a waiver. We, we we don't have to conform to the BT rootworm refuges. We just have to follow the, the corn borer refuge. And I guess that brings us to the Viptera trait. Yeah, uh, so the VIP trait is another BT trait. It's a new BT trait in corn. And all my colleagues and I in the South are really discouraging the the use of that technology. And, and the reason is, first of all, it doesn't change your compliance or refuge requirements. Um, Second of all, in the Mid-South in particular, we have a hard time demonstrating any value. It doesn't really impact yield. It makes the ears look pretty because it's very good at, at reducing corn earworm damage. Uh, however, uh, that technology is extremely valuable in cotton. And what we don't want to do is select insects in corn that are going to end up in cotton, and we end up with uh, a serious risk. And again, not a lot of value in corn. Corn can kind of be a refuge for cotton and a lot of value in cotton. So we're discouraging that use. It may actually become a rule eventually that they can't grow that technology, but it is out there. Uh, uh, there's several varieties, a lot of varieties from Pioneer and, and DeKalb now that have that VIP gene in there. Anything else, Scott, we needed to cover about BT resistance? No, I think uh, it's just something we need to be aware of. I, I think we're very fortunate that with our main target pests, southwestern corn borer and European corn borer, there's really no evidence of any resistance issues. Now that we have these stacked BT corn traits that are being widely implemented, I think that makes it even more likely that that will continue. And that's one of the reasons the refuge guidelines have dropped, because we have better technology. So hopefully we keep ahead of this thing. I think a lot of people out there farming have forgotten how bad corn borers can be and how much they nibble at you. But I, I can promise you, I had tests this year uh, where our non-BT corn varieties lost 20, 30 bushels from southwestern corn borer infestation. So the BT technology really has a value for us. All right, well, great information about that. And of course, a good reminder about the corn refuge and all producers need to be sure that they're planning the proper refuge. Once again, tell us where they can find that information about the, the county requirements. Well, I'll just mention where the, our Tennessee Insect Control Guide is. You can actually go to our website, utcrops.com, and in the upper left-hand corner, it says UT Publications, and there's an Insect Control Guide. Under the corn section, this table's listed. Uh, I'll just go ahead, I guess, while I'm here and read these counties, but the designated cotton counties, and these are the ones with the more strict refuge requirements, include Carroll, Chester, Crockett, Dyer, Fayette, Franklin, Gibson, Hardeman, Hardin, Haywood, Lake, Lauderdale, Lincoln, Madison, O'Brien, Rutherford, Shelby, and Tipton. See, you could be like the weather guy who reads off the counties that are closed for school and the, for the snow days. Is Was that a career aspiration for yeah, you? Yeah, I'm predicting a 100% chance of rain today. <laughs> Very nice. I think you're going to be right. Thank you again for being with us, and thank you for listening to Call of the Week. I'm Ginger Rousey, and we'll talk next week. Call of the Week is brought to you by the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture and utcrops.com.